0: Hey, Sheepdog Nation, to all of our uh, amazing supporters out there, guess what? This is Podcast One, uh, coming to you from the Sheepdog National Office in Rogers, Arkansas. We are uh, we're trying something new here, so you know, bear with us a little bit uh, with our very first official podcast, and uh, you can tell, look at all these beautiful mics and the cameras and lights that we have is a testament to us trying to do this right. But the point is, is that through these podcasts, we would like to share uh, a lot about what SDIA, what Sheepdog Impact Assistance is doing, what, we're, what we've been up to, some of the things that we have planned uh, for the future. But uh, more importantly, we want to capture the stories of the men and women that are sheepdogs, the men and women that are out there on the front lines every day serving and protecting us. And so that may be active duty personnel that are quite literally serving in uniform like our guest today, and or men and women that have served and have a powerful story to still share with all of us. So uh, I hope you enjoy podcast one for us and Sheepdog, and I hope you uh, enjoy future podcasts to come as we uh, share the mission of our men and women that are sheepdogs. So, today we have Master Chief Steve Fleming with us. Um, You know, I I, I've bounced this around a bit, Steve, on just kind of how to introduce you from a standpoint of, we have a history, right? We have a history together of having served.
1: Couple commands.
0: Yes, uh, you know, my time in the Marine Corps for 30 years uh, and the Marine Corps, being small as it is, as you know, uh, Fleet Marine Corps and our brothers and sisters on the Navy side that serve with us, especially our corpsmen, right, we have a special relationship. And sure. so uh, the opportunity that I've had, to one, to serve with you, uh, and I'm still shocked every time I say Master Chief, right, that, <laughs> that Steve is a Master Chief, yeah. that uh, he's very young Master Chief at that. Uh, when I was always the old man in uniform. It uh I'm so proud of you, so proud to have you with us here today. Happy and to be here. Excited appreciate it. to be able to share your story and uh us share it with the men and women that are watching.
1: Absolutely. No, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the invite. I'm excited to be part of episode one.
0: Well good. Well that's it is. You'll every Episode after this, men and women are going to be watching this to make sure they do it like Steve did, right? So that'll <laughs> nope, be the fun no part. Um, and I, I, I do apologize. You know, I obviously uh, have a face for radio, so for those of you that got to look at me, hey, so what? You're just going to have to deal with it. But um, I am. I'm excited to be able to do this first podcast with you. And when we, when we started talking about doing a podcast, uh, your name immediately came to mind one based on the timing of what we've been doing together, and you know we want to tell your story and I want you to have a chance to tell the story on on what it is that you're dealing with in your life today, some of the challenges that you're facing you are still uh, you're active duty navy in uniform, but unfortunately you're not serving in the capacity of your job today because of something personally you're having to battle correct and so we're going to get to that but um, right before we do, uh, you know what? You and I experienced something pretty powerful a few weeks ago when we went to Africa yep. and climbed a mountain that, uh, to me, will forever be a curse word uh, <laughs> from a fun standpoint of just how challenging it was. But uh, we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro together, yep. and the journey of the five days of getting to that mountain, and uh, that was pretty powerful, wasn't it? Oh, was that, yeah, it
1: was absolutely. There's no way to... You can watch all the videos and the research and talk to people, but until you, you live it, you really don't know what you're stepping into. Yeah. It was awesome.
0: Well, I uh and, and getting into your story, I think about how things came together for us to climb, right? Was yep. you you reaching out and uh just kind of updating me on uh on what your status was mm-hmm. in service and in life and uh it was a little bit of a God thing, you know, for me because We were working hard to choose a team. Uh, Ultimately, there was 11 of us, right, that that went to Africa to climb Kilimanjaro. I will say that everyone made it up to the top, uh, which was pretty powerful to be able to say that uh, we were one of the largest groups in years uh, to make it to the top of the mountain. But, uh, you know, the power behind the day you called me was also a day where we had lost one of our participants who wasn't able to make it. And I thought, well, how am I going to fill this spot? And uh, you called, and you shared your story. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, Steve, this this is up to you, but it's an opportunity, yep. and if you want it, it's yours. So I'm uh, – I remember that. I
1: was uh, in my driveway because so I, I like to pace when I talk on the phone. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, got a repetition at that point of calling – Calling my circle of people, and and I got to you, and and uh, I remember have, like having to stop walking, in, like you say Kilimanjaro, like m- process that information because uh, I mean who would expect that? Yeah.
0: Um, that was cool, especially if you've not been thinking about doing no. it. Right? It's like, hey, no. a mountain I want to climb. <laughs> it's uh, the tallest mountain in Africa, and uh, yeah. well, you know, if you will share with the audience a little bit based on your journey as a combat veteran and uh, how that led to your decision to agree to climb Kilimanjaro with us.
1: So, you know, I called you, and and uh, you kind of offered up up the idea. And, you know, he told me to take a couple of days and, and think about it because obviously there was a lot of um, emotional energy in that and a lot of emotional energy to be able to talk to people about about having uh, cancer and, and and the realization of, of how many things are going to be changing on top of still just Im- embracing and processing this this stuff just a few months in. Um, and a big piece, you know, I talked to my wife and, and having her be a sounding board of, you know, are you up for it and, and, and everything. And what big thing for me was, um, and I, and I'll probably, we'll probably talk about it later too, is like a a mental process for me was like at the rapid, rapid acceptance or aggressive acceptance of my new reality. And so I found that the faster I accepted what had happened to me. And the faster that I realized, okay, there's some things I can do and I need to start making some changes or I need to start, um, I need to start getting back in the driver's seat. It became pretty clear to me, like I need to find something to, um, to dictate my circumstances and not let something else dictate what those walls or what, you know, something might be. And so uh, taking on something like that after talking to my wife and her being really encouraging and, and things, it really just came down to like, once I've aggressively accepted my new circumstances, okay, the next step is going to be, I'm now going to dictate, um, what I can do. And so I just Mm kind of jumped in. I live in Texas. It's pretty flat. Like I don't have mountains That's to go right. to prep. So I just, it was like, okay, like I'm accepting this challenge. And, and I think growing up in division, growing up, I didn't grow up in traditional Navy. Um, I was raised militarily by combat veterans, you know, the, from the invasion on. And, and I think that mindset and those mentors and those coaches and those you know, some of these giants that, you know, when you're a junior Marine, junior sailor, you look yeah. up to some of these guys and they're on their third, fourth, fifth combat tour. And um, when they tell you something, you you listen. And when like, sometimes training hurts and like y- yeah. you you follow through and, and you do that. And so when you live a life like that and you grow up in that culture, um, you just kind of jump in and and you know that like, sometimes, you know, the pain is going to be, be worth it. Cause you're going to have that reward on the backside. So I just kind of jumped in and was like, okay, we're going to climb Kilimanjaro. I don't know how, I don't even know what we need. I don't even have civilian gear for this. I got a bunch of Marine Corps gear, but I was like, we're going to figure it out and we're going to climb a mountain. So, uh, this was the first non-military high adventure thing I've taken on. And so, um, it, it was my way of, Jumping in the deep end and and demanding uh, that I still get to drive my life and not let cancer drive it.
0: Absolutely. Well, and you know, and on that note, you know, you've heard everyone that, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Steve's battle, but it is cancer, and um, you know, that is something that for so many people out there that have had loved ones have to battle it, and we're going to get into the story of really what has cause your cancer, right? Mm -hmm. Which is going to be pretty powerful in itself as we share that story and remind people of the battles that our men and women are still facing out there. But, uh, you know, as I I look back on, one, your acceptance to go up Kilimanjaro and, you know, for myself and the whole team, I think all of us were were facing those personal challenges of, oh my gosh, you know, what's this going to be like? Uh, Can we do it, right? Because we hear the stories of, not everyone makes it, and some of the best world-class athletes uh, that attempt it never make it to the top. And so, it's not about really how good a shape you're in. It's just it's more about whether the mountain is going to allow you um, to make it, right? And so, I, I think back on the challenges of the daily, you know, miles that we had to put under our feet as yep. we walked to and up the mountain, but. Um, I consider all day long and talk about how how challenging it was for me in different ways, but uh for you what um what do you think was the most challenging uh aspect of the climate itself uh, up to the day that we went to the top, but at the same time just um you know taking into that portion as well
1: uh summit night of course is going to be the f- when we get into actually, once we're on the trail and we're going, the summit night is a, you know, a, the hardest, in my opinion, um, whether it be the going up and, and or the coming down, um, God help us. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> so, you know, f- to, to explain it to everybody that it doesn't know is, you know, you're stepping off at midnight and you're stepping off into just pure darkness and you're at like a 45 degree grade. And, you know, the thing that, tore me up was the you take a step and you slide down six inches i mean uh-huh. that loose loose gravel and, and dirt and everything and, and just you have to dig for every for every inch on the way up and your thin air and everything else but when mentally and i i'd learned this from uh, a retired gunnery sergeant pat coleman um who um he called it training you know, but he gave me a lot of love. Um, and, um, we were really big into McMap and doing lots of stuff, but I, I did a lot of things, uh, when he was my company gunny with him and, and you hit certain points in training, whether it be workups or what, or schools or, or just unit cohesion training. And I learned back as an E4E5, like when you're one, two, three weeks into something and you got you're at that summit night for whatever that event is. You're really, really tired. You can't breathe. Your everything hurts, your joints, your muscles, you know, what have you. And you start feeling like you want to quit. Um, I learned from Gunny Coleman, like, Mm. the the pain of, like, all this stuff that we had already done would be for nothing if you quit right now. Yeah. He's like, or you can just suck it up and just – go and do your, do your piece. And and so I was like, okay, well, like all the other stuff wasn't for nothing. Like, I just going to get there. So, um, that's kind of the mentality that I've carried for, you know, 10, 15 years ever since I met him and, and the, the training, um, that, that he, that he, um, you know, shared with me. And so I think that was the hardest thing was just, you know, I had you know pains and and things that everyone else had, but yeah. um, for me it was I didn't go through all that just just to not make the top, um, and and compounded with wanting to be in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we got to uh, Gilman's Point, you know, and you start moving the crest, once you're really up up that grade and you're doing the rim, uh, you start seeing the signs, and you see that the the peak um and the sign at the peak i made the decision i'm like okay i'm gonna trudge there and i'm gonna pass out. i, I was like i'm gonna pass out i'm gonna pass out at the sign but it's okay my body will be there and everyone <laughs> will know we'll drag you everyone will know i have made it. it it's okay uh yeah. it's um, so like that was just kind of the gut-wrenching reality i mean yeah. the summit night was was a monster um it was
0: brutal yeah uh, i mean i I don't know if you do this, but uh, for those out there that aren't aware, um, you know English is a, a predominant language uh, in Tanzania, uh, along with all their different tribal languages. But uh, the main one is Swahili, and yep. so there's the Swahili words for certain things that we do. But the big ones that the, the big one that the guides drove in was uh, "poli poli," and uh, they were constantly saying "poli poli," which means slow. Go slow, take your time. This is not a, a sprint, right? It truly is a marathon. But uh, there's times when I wake up in the middle of the night and my brain is saying, poly poly. Yep. Because that summit night, um, all I kept saying to myself was poly poly. Yep. Or else I knew what we wouldn't make it. But also at the same time, to your point of the training that we've been through, the experiences. Yep for me throughout my career, anytime I faced adversity, it was always reminding myself that nothing lasts forever. Yep. Now, that's not a good feeling when there's good things in your life, sure. right? But when there's pain, um, whenever there were trying times, especially in my life in the military, uh, I always would stress, nothing lasts forever. I mean, this pain is not going to last forever, and if you can yep. endure it and make it across the finish line, you're going to be so happy that you, yep. you did it. And you may say, I never want to do it again, which I'm saying now about Kilimanjaro, right? <laughs> but uh, but it is powerful to know that um, experiences like that and sure. having someone like the Gunny uh, kind of impress that upon you makes a difference in the things that we do in life. And you don't even
1: realize it at the moment. Like you, you realize this, you know, the next challenge or the yeah, next yeah. thing or as you get older or when you have – you know, we've promoted, you know, you're retired sergeant major and things Like you, you look back at, you know, some of these kids that, you know, you've professionally raised mm-hmm. and and you see them making the mistakes or saying the things or meaning like, Oh, I used to think like that. You know, uh-huh. and like you see and it's funny how how these life lessons you don't realize what you're getting along the way and what people can impart on you. Um, it's really cool uh um, yeah.
0: when you when you look back. Without a doubt. Well on that note, um, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, and we're going to hear more of Steve's story, and we're going to start to really get into the discussion of, as you've heard, he's, he's fighting cancer. And I want everyone out there to learn a little bit more about the battle he's facing, the why, uh, what has really kind of led to that, and how uh, all of us need to be aware of and not forget uh, the men and women that have done so much to serve us and our great nation. We'll be right back.
1: It doesn't matter how long you know that you're getting out for. Even if you come in and you do four years and that's your plan the whole time. I'm gonna do four and I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna go
0: do this. It's still hard to leave those people who understand you. They have totally changed my life, transformed me into who I
1: used to be, into who I am now.
0: The best way for us to work through our problems is to work through our problems together.
1: I got off the couch, got out of that dark place. I got put on an adventure. I wanted to make veterans feel the way that I felt on that adventure and Sheepdog was able to bring us out here and be able to honor him and his family. Because we, as Sheepdogs, have a very different mentality and habits and the way that we speak and we don't necessarily click with everyone. And so when Sheepdog is there and they're like, hey, come have fun with us, they're helping you
0: without you necessarily saying help me. So these kinds of events, people not only get to feel refreshed, but they get to go out, but imagine if that was your life. We're, we're, we're set here when our potential's way up here. It was like a, like a reset, a recalibration. I mean, this is really for anyone who needs uh, a family, and it needs uh, a a reason to just get off the couch. And
1: this is honestly the best thing that's happened to me since the Marine Corps, and I couldn't be more grateful.
0: All right we 're back hey we're uh, we're here today with Master Chief Steve Fleming and we're talking about uh, a little bit of his life and the ad- adventures that we've experienced recently as we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and then we're going to talk a little bit about his uh his battle with cancer today so but before we we transition to that Steve I, I want to go back to Kilimanjaro one more time it's sometimes we get caught up in uh, you know the pain is sometimes what we remember the most from a, sure. a fondness because we can sit around and joke about it. I always, I always think about the gas chamber at boot camp and how <laughs> miserable that experience was. But uh, at the same time, we look back on it with fondness, sure. based on just you know what it meant you know to become that marine, but uh, or someone you know finishing boot camp. How about? the experiences that we had together in Kilimanjaro and uh, what were some of the most memorable from a fondness standpoint that uh, you'll be able to look back on that isn't painful that uh, you really appreciate from that experience?
1: I, you know, there was 11 of us, right? And I think we all, we only, we didn't get to spend a lot of time together because um, geographically we were all spread out across the country and, you know, we had a group chat. We got to, to meet here uh, at the ranch um, couple months beforehand, but essentially, you all we all stepped off on the trail as as strangers, and um, I I look at the the small snapshots, right, and I think of the you know the phrase, the best of times is the worst of times, and like you remember all like the the gut wrenching things like you mentioned, right. Whether it be military training, whether it be, um, summit night, but it's the in between the small moments that like at that moment don't really, don't really mean something. It's just, we're sitting down and we're talking and we're laughing and things. But I think of like watching, um, you know, being a part of like a card game and like seeing, uh, Jose just like, burst out laughing and and like you know everyone starts to to kind of gel and like you really start feeling that that team dynamic and everyone's um everyone's firing on all cylinders with with joy and, and is happy to be there and everyone's feeling the same everyone's sore everyone's tired but i think seeing everybody come together and like the middle of nowhere Uh, you look for miles you can see we're above the clouds and like you can see forever and it's windy and it's cold and we're eating food in in the middle 12,000 15,000 feet and I I think of like all those little moments along the the trek um, zebra rock and us all you know taking that little that off the beaten path up there and getting to see what we're going to conquer And, you know, everyone being, you know, really starting to get amped up that we're so close to to taking that on. And, um, I, I really, you know, I was scrolling through photos and things once we, everyone dumped everything, we all shared all of our photos and I was just cruising through and, and looking through them and stuff and, um, it's it's those kinds of things that tie to those memories or i remember a conversation we were making stupid jokes on a on that rock uh while you know somebody was changing their socks uh or or uh fighting over who's going to get the last what flavor uh lifesaver you know just dumb little things in the moment Mm -hmm. but like you think back and you're like that was awesome uh and i i loved that
0: well and i i think you touch on it it it, it's the camaraderie right it's uh it's going through that with people that you enjoy. And, um, and we do. We all come from different backgrounds. Uh, I think almost every branch of service uh, was um, was there. And, you know, from that standpoint, it's our experiences in life, whether it's geographically from all of us coming from different parts of the country uh, to our different stories and how we've served and where yep. we've been and what we've done. We all came together and... Um, We've got something that we'll always share yep. an experience that, one, so few people actually have the opportunity to uh, experience and accomplish. But, uh, yeah, those those little things. I, I think about, uh, you know, sitting down and our porters and our guides would have meals prepared for us. Yep. And uh, the thing I looked forward to the most was that hot cocoa. You know, yeah. they'd have hot water for us. And uh just to put some cocoa in my hot water and just that that's a little bit of home right as funny as it was uh it really kind of makes a difference and the so, soups i didn't and have a soup. bad i didn't yeah. have a bad
1: soup that yeah. really surprised me
0: i mean i that's I keep great. thinking about uh you know when it comes to negative it's really just the walking aspect, <laughs> uh, and especially the summit night right it 's that poly. poly uh, I, I never want to hear it again, and I, my brain keeps throwing it out there at me. But, yeah, it's, everything about the experience really was powerful, and there's so many different things that we can reflect back on yep. that make us uh, appreciate every aspect of the journey, the, the, the easy and the hard. Uh, but, again, I, it comes back to the fact that we did it together, and all yep. of us have that experience, and that bond will always be there.
1: Yep. So. I, that was the first trip or first thing I've ever done where I actually journaled every day. Mm. And, uh, I, I, I got a a book and, and journaled the entire experience to, to try to capture it and really want to make the most of it. And, uh, I'm going to go in and put photos in it and, and do some captions. And, that. and that's something that, you know, um, I hope like my kids can go and like, know exactly my feelings on, you know, mm. a certain day and stuff. And, and, um, yeah. I really wanted to make it special when, once we got going. Um, and I'm really glad I did that.
0: That's powerful. Uh, now you're sitting me, making me sit here and go, well, I wish I had journaled, but, uh, <laughs> I was too busy just focusing on putting one foot in front of the other. Um, so, Hey, I, this is where we kind of transition a little bit into a topic that's not necessarily, uh, fun. Um, as we, we talk about your, your current challenges as you fight cancer, but, uh, you know, I, there's a couple reasons we timed our podcast when we did, uh, and a big part of it is because we're going to release this on 9/ 11. Okay. Uh, it's going to be the 22nd anniversary of September 11th, right? And so many things go through my mind when I think about that date. You know, for me personally, I'd gotten out of the military, I was out of the Marine Corps, I'd been out almost a, uh, almost a year plus. And 9-11 happens and then begins my new journey of getting back into the Marine Corps, right? And for so many um, men and women that have served and fought and died for our nation since then, um, that day, that date was the reason why. It was our generation's Pearl Harbor, right? It was our generation's reason to fight for their country uh, after we'd been attacked, right? and. As we as we go into the conversation about your cancer, we have to stop and pause and think, okay, 9-11 happens, <clears throat> and the people that die that day and are part of that um, moment in time, uh, that whether it was people that were running away from the buildings as they fell, or the men and women that were running into the buildings, what we refer to as sheepdogs, you know, what type of man or woman runs into a burning building, or a building, a skyscraper that just got hit by airplanes, who's crazy enough to do that? Well, it's sheepdogs, right? It's men and women that are willing to serve and, if need be, die for us. And so, as I think about that, it's then the first responders that answered the call that day when the buildings were hit, but also all the men and women that served at Ground Zero for days and weeks after that trying to recover um, our fellow Americans. And so the challenge as we connect with your experience now with cancer is the illnesses that occurred because of Ground Zero after the buildings had fallen, and the illnesses that, and the cancers, uh, and so many other debilitating illnesses that have broken people, that have ultimately... Uh, caused their lives to come to an end. And you then kind of fast forward to today, and you think, okay, well, we're 22 years past that. Well, a lot of those men and women that served there at Ground Zero are still suffering uh, from the illnesses the exposure to those toxins have caused. But we in uniform, then when we go overseas and serve in a combat zone, we, we are worried about bombs and bullets but we're not really worried about the unseen dangers that we're facing and don't even realize it. And whether it was Agent Orange going all the way back to Vietnam, which was you know mine and your father's generation, uh, and, and grand in some you know, areas are our uncles and aunts, and um, I think about how, okay, that was so impactful on our veterans and the side effects of dropping Agent Orange. And then you go up to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, where I served my first tour um, as a young Marine, and we come home and we're learning about the effects of the burn pits uh, in, in Saudi Arabia and in the Gulf there. And it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, did we learn our lesson? And noting that burn pits can cause a lot of harm, the toxins that come from them. Then you fast forward to today, and the call that you made to me and letting me know that you had cancer and that it's connected to burn pits in Afghanistan, and I'm sitting here going, you know, my service in Iraq, your service, and a lot of the same dirt that we've chewed together, uh, and I'm looking back going, my gosh, there were burn pits all over the place, yeah. again. And, and I'm sitting there, even as I, I look back and go, it just became common that we just didn't give it a second thought. And even though I knew the dangers of the burn pits from my time during Desert Chill, Desert Storm, <clears throat> for whatever reason, I still didn't think about the continued harm in seeing burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I say that to then go, for me it has come home hard because of mine and your friendship, and noting that a friend of mine now has cancer because of burn pits. And so I, I I want everyone, hopefully, out there to appreciate you take that evolution from Agent Orange to Desert Shield, Desert Storm to Ground Zero, and then the war on terrorism and burn Pit. still. There are so many of our servicemen and women out there and our first responders that are suffering from the toxins in the air based on their service. And again... They may be worried about a burning building, or you know, shots being fired, or bombs falling, but you, you don't think that hey, the air is going to kill me that I'm serving in, right? And sure. so, tell us a little bit about that, if you will, and your exposure, and and then you know how that's impacting your life today.
1: So, I, I uh, 2011, I was working at a patrol base Alcatraz in Sangin, Afghanistan, and um, we were. We were in an in a environment of, you know, contact seven days a week. Um, the valley was was uh, hostile on, on every patrol, no matter what FOB or patrol base you were operating out of. Uh, in 2010, 2011, Sangin was, was the place to be for mm-hmm. the Marine Corps. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we had a burn pit, and um, since since my diagnosis, I've learned about, about a, lot of, a lot of guys that were there, and I think, you know, kind of touching on some of the, the points that you made, you know, when we look at Agent Orange, we look at Desert Storm, you know, this stuff, um, it's in my family. Uh, Agent Orange was um, what ultimately uh, killed my grandfather, who did three tours in Vietnam. Uh, my, my uncle, who is retired, um has has complications from desert storm desert shield associated with with um, toxins and then me and so like as you can imagine, this has been very hard on my my dad it's on yeah. his side so his brother and and, and his father and um, and I think like so when and now this, his son and now his son and yeah. so you know for my my dad who grew up a military brat you know and, and is is very proud of me. Being being in the service and everything, I think it was a little hard on him um, to to process and accept that. And so, for me, I don't regret. I, I have no regrets on my service. I don't regret. You know, I get you get asked like, "Oh, do, would you go back to Afghanistan if you could okay. go back in time? and time?" I'm like, "Yeah, I would," because yeah. I so know my brothers and sisters. I I was on the line doing the job as a corpsman, like. I treated guys that are alive today. Um, You know, I've, I lost friends um, that I, you know, I did everything I could and, you know, I wouldn't have been there for that final moment with them kind of thing. And like, there's so much more, um, as you know, with deployments Mm -hmm. than, than just this. And when I think of how we are here today and how we're learning about the the realities of, of toxic exposure events and things impacting the post nine 11 generation. I think, I think it's easy, um, to, to kind of jump to, to some frustration or anger. And, and I think it's, it's fair to feel frustrated. I was frustrated when, and this isn't my first time getting sick and I'll talk about that in a minute, but I think, we looked at post-traumatic stress, and I think it's fair to say we're not perfect in where we're all the programs and the stigma. That's the big thing, right? I think we've come yeah. a long way as a as a nation um, outside of military service and how we view post-traumatic stress, and and we put such a focus on on killing the stigma. And now employers, I. I feel like it's safe to say most employers are not afraid to hire a veteran and where, you know, as the war was going on, you'd hear the stigma of like, oh, what if they freak out in the office and things. And, and, um, and I, I think, I think that we focused so much on that. Yeah. I think we probably missed a few things we could have caught earlier and made better decisions. Um, and so now I think, and how what some of the legislation that has been done? I think we're making steps in the right direction. I think with the tests and some of the research out there, I think we're learning a lot, and we can we can talk about these these different things and and organizations that are out there to um, to help help veterans and and um, some of the the latest and really cool exciting things happening. Um, but I kind of think that's. I don't regret anything. I, I, that's, that's the big thing. And I had to really think about that because it was easy for me to get real angry. And, yeah. and uh, I'm really proud of my service. I'm proud of doing what I did. I've been to a lot of countries in the Middle East. And what I have learned since I got sick was that there is a group of us. It is not just me. It is not just me and one guy. And so even five years ago, I started coming to light Five years ago, same month, I got diagnosed with cancer uh, Friday the 13th. January 13th, 2023, they found they found uh, the tumor, and, and that started all the tests, which led to the, the diagnosis. However, uh, January 2018, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, mm. and I had had what I know now is I had had multiple symptoms over a couple of years, and I didn't associate it with that. And um so going back to that, I found um three other Marines that had MS that have MS um that were with me time wise uh, mm-hmm. over patrol base Alcatraz. And so that one of them I talked to almost on a daily basis. Um the other ones I kind of track and, and were a support group for each other. And then since the cancer I've I've discovered I'm the only one with both. I'm special. Um, but, uh, I've, I've discovered a group of Marines and, and, and service members that are, um, having different, different fights with different bouts of
0: cancer, different health issues at, yep. on the extreme level. Now, how do you, you know, right now the Navy is being really good to you. They're keeping you on active duty. You have commented yep. before that, uh, you're really, you're really proud. And I am too, to hear it, that, uh, the service is doing you, um, doing you right hundred percent, and making you putting you in a position where you're able to be at home with your family. Yep. You're, you're getting, how do you feel about the, they, the care that you're receiving the, overall?
1: Yeah. The Navy has been, and the Marine Corps, I was working for a Marine Corps command when I got diagnosed. I was working for, a, um, a, a, two-star, um, now, now retired, or I think he's on terminal leave, um, major general Paul Rock. And, and mm-hmm. I couldn't be more grateful for his leadership and support. So, as soon as, as I got diagnosed, he immediately started um, – got a colonel assigned to, to, to be my – to take care of all the admin piece and to work with the Navy so I could focus on me. And, and, um, and between, between Big Navy and, and uh, Major, Major General Paul Rock and his leadership team, they, they worked out all the admin in under a week and got me, got me home. Um, and so, uh, the Navy has, has kept me retained me on active duty. I'm I'm in the Navy reserves, um, and, and was recalled for a deployment when this happened. And so the Navy is, I couldn't be more grateful. So I'm at home with my family, huge support network. And so, um, as I go through my stuff, I'm getting cancer treatment at MD Anderson in Houston. Uh, that's a top notch facility Yeah, top notch and so i'm i'm getting poked and prodded and and mm-hmm. tested and scanned and you know all sorts of things but but i'm getting answers i'm getting you know status updates and I'm, I'm able to um i don't i don't question or second guess um the the clinical competencies um and then i i already 5 years of ms care I've already got a routine, and so the new challenge isn't, do I have competent or appropriate medical care, or am I worried about, um, I mean, some cancer, right, is, is such a uh, a scary thing, not just from, like, the health dynamic. I mean, uh, when you look at the the financial and the insurance yeah. and, you know, all those, like, other, the administrative components and and financial components that come with that. I'm very blessed with, you know, to, to be retained and not have to, to stress about that component and I can focus on my wellness. So my, my energy goes into, how do I balance these two monsters essentially that, you know, live and like continue living my life, you know, for my wife, for my daughters, for, you know, um, for my brothers or sisters that are that are maybe hurting and and maybe be a positive influence for them and try to find that and so that's where I'm able to put my energy um, because the Navy has been such so, so good to me.
0: Good, well, and I I think at the end of the day, that's what most people want to know is, are you being treated properly? And it sounds like you are, and you're getting the treatment you need. I you know on that note though, and part of why we're doing this podcast and I wanted you to be here was to bring awareness to the fact that, uh, to your point, as you've reached out and you've found more of the men that you've served with that are are now dealing with some of the same things. <clears throat> to your point, maybe not both diseases, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they are, they're suffering. And uh, am I correct in saying there's been a couple that have died? Uh, one
1: Marine died last year um, in an organization called Hunter Seven Foundation they are a nonprofit based out of Rhode Island. They specialize in, um, it's a group of clinicians and, and health, health-based scientists that uh, specialize in, in research around toxic exposure in, in veterans, and Hunter 7 being the call sign um, of, of the husband of one of the founders who, who mm. passed away. And, um, so I reached out to them. And told them about me, and when I when I mentioned, they were like, "Where where did you serve?" And you know, I talked about the different countries in the Middle East, that bounced around, but they were like, in a you know, when I lived in very near immediate proximity of a burn pit, I was at Patrol Base Alcatraz, and mm-hmm. and she said, uh, "I am well aware of Patrol Base Alcatraz." Wow. So I was like, "Okay." So she's like, "I have data. I've got reports of of known." toxic exposure things like I've got stuff. And so the way that they collect that is, um, a service member can voluntarily open up their, their medical information to them, uh, for research purposes. And what they started doing was compiling data to try to find trends. And so a Marine, uh, passed away last year of, of cancer who was at Alcatraz the same time Mm -hmm. I was. Um, and, uh, um, and so there was, it's not the, it wasn't the exact same, but it, it had, it was, it's in the ballpark. It, it's a similar type of cancer. And, um, and so I was able to kind of then start, that really got the ball rolling where I was like, I need to start talking to s- some of my, some of my guys. Mm-hmm. And I started calling and like even calling around. I called a couple guys that I knew were in remission. Um, Mm-hmm. And, and uh, around the same kind of making my rounds, that was when I started. Okay, I'm going to start opening up, and you know, I called you. I called, yeah. you know, I started calling people, and I started to become more public with it. Um, when calling around, I found guys that admitted to me that they were sick and didn't tell anybody, mm-hmm. and they were like, "I've never told anybody. I've just been in the dark, like suffering." Goodness. And and um, I found a guy who was like. I just went to get tested. I'm waiting on some results, and he has since found out he's sick yeah. um and so um it's the realization of like talking about it actually might be good, not just for me but probably for the
0: community yeah well, and you yeah, it's that continued you know effort on your part um and the it is it's so it's so hard sometimes to say you know blessings and curses right but uh the silver lining of things sometimes that are bad that happen to us having it happen to someone like you uh is 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 not good i hate it but at the same time i hear stories like that where you are the type of person who's going to reach out you're the type of person who isn't staying quiet, and because of your willingness to reach out to others and share and check, do the buddy check, that is so important, Uh, you are helping uh, others to, one, realize they need to uh, get checked themselves and or uh, appreciate the importance of, hey, if you don't take care of yourself now and you don't get ahead of this, it quite literally is going to kill you. And so, you know, as we talk about awareness and that being a big part of why I wanted to have you on here today is to bring it to the attention of people and keep remind them of what's happening. But also, um, so how are some other ways right now that you're, are there any other organizations or things that you're doing to help kind of bring awareness to the subject at hand and anything that others uh, can be doing, you know, and or if you're speaking to a group of veterans and or first responders out there, uh, is there anything that you'd like to say to them to kind of encourage The importance of awareness uh, behind everything that we do.
1: No, I mean, as you know, we climbed with Sheepdog. We climbed Killy, and that was awesome. It's opened up this forum and and everything. Uh, Hunter Seven Foundation um, has I they offered up, hey, we'll um, do some some cancer screening blood work if you've got a group of guys that you know we're with you that are, are willing to do this, we'll pay for it. So I got several guys with some health issues plugged in and Hunter 7 started doing blood work on them and, and started trying to figure out, hey, are there any enzymes and any any imbalances in their systems and trying to find trend data um, of people that, they've, that meet the criteria for high risk, multiple deployments or co-located with me at Alcatraz and things. And so um, they've been fantastic. Um uh Team Rubicon has been, was, was a big um I had a, a lot of outreach from the leadership there that that I've got close personal relationships with. Um, you know, I'm the Navy has been my my hobby forever. So like I need, you know, is it was a job and, and everything, but I genuinely loved mm-hmm. being being in the Navy and um the reality is that's coming to a close. So, so the The Wounded Warrior Project and and Navy Wounded Warrior has been um, working with. Um working with me in terms of finding hobbies and like exploring things and I'm trying to tie that into my kids and stuff. So those organizations have been fantastic. And now, did
0: I tell you, it. we need a sheepdog chapter down in Houston. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm speaking so, of hobbies. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I gotta, I'm so I'm trying to figure out, like, I, I don't know what hobby Steve Fleming likes yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, we're, I'm I'm kind of just going with whatever my kids have interest in and and exploring that and seeing if I can have a hobby with each, each kid. But in terms of reaching out or in terms of, of advice or, or if I'm speaking to a group of vets and first responders, um, so I, I, uh, and, and I know we'll, we'll talk about at the end about like kind of future, future stuff and ideas and things that I'm working on, but like a concept towards one of my future things that I'm working on is what I call team room medicine and team room medicine is came from a lot of conversations with some guys. There's a, uh, an active duty guy, army, um, his name's Vince and he and I went and met at a, um, operation healing forces, um, event that was put on. And that, that came like right after I got diagnosed, um, that I got set up with them as a way for my wife and I to, to kind of connect and, and process our stuff, and so I had some really good talks with him, sharing my thoughts, and, and we had identified some of the same trends, and it's that guys hurting in the dark, right? Yeah. And I think we talk about post-traumatic stress, and I think a big popular, you know, thing to to highlights the twenty-two a day and things, but I think in my opinion, I think we're looking at that through a lens or, or we're not opening the aperture mm-hmm. enough. And I think the 22 a day is terrible and it's significant, but I don't think the 22 a day and post-traumatic stress, because that's usually the a lot of what we hear is that, oh, you're struggling and yeah. you let the demons and all these things and, and you're hurting and then something tragic happens. I I think if we opened up that aperture and we looked at it from what I call team room medicine, and team room medicine is more than Band-Aids, it's more than pills, it's more than creams and ointments. Mm-hmm. Team room medicine is when we were all in the team room or something and we're looking at our guys, we can tell if something's off. We're having those interactions with them. <laughs> we we are... are deeply connected and invested in each other. And like, there's that really good team cohesion. There's that competitive nature that happens in that team room as well. Like who's the best shooter? Who's the fastest runner? Who's swimming more? Who's who's lifting more weight? Whatever it is, right? And in different teams vary based on communities, But but you're pushing each other and everything else. Specifically with military, I think something that should be talked about more is is the transition to civilian life where we tell them you're not going to have that team room medicine kind of component so rule number one in a small unit team when you're in a combat theater and stuff is you don't do anything to compromise the team don't do anything to compromise yourself take care of yourself stay healthy stay fit like keep your mind in the game same thing in, in training so all of a sudden, like, you know, there's those moments where it's like we're climbing the mountain. And if we're in Bridgeport, we're doing like a combat load up the mountain, like, no one wants to hear you complain. Like, suck it up. Like, we're all carrying yeah. extra batteries. We're all carrying extra food or extra <clears> ammo. <throat> like, just gut it out, get to the top. Like, those are the moments where it's like no one wants to hear that. We never take that off, in my opinion. We don't take that off of our service members very well. So we get these. Type A, highly competitive and aggressive individuals who have been doing the job, and whether they're retiring or whether they're separating, I don't think we're doing as good of a job addressing the idea that you need to learn to speak out. Mm. You need to talk. uh, Hey, I'm hurting. Hey, I'm not doing well. And I think like when you get into that 22 a day, you know the the argument isn't that's not a real or that's not a problem. I think my argument is okay, like that's that's a, a result and yeah, maybe the root cause, you know, is is through post-traumatic stress. However, like when we open up that aperture, the question was did we ever did we ever take that idea of don't put anything on the team. Mm-hmm don't, you know, don't bitch, gripe, or moan. Like, yeah. did we take that off of them and put the idea of you're not in the team room anymore? No one's gonna see you. And I think that's something worth exploring. And, and I think it goes to small unit leadership. And I mm-hmm. think we need to start getting that infection spreading. And yeah. that results in a challenge. And that goes to anybody watching this, and, I'd, and maybe it'll get it shared more. My challenge is what I call intrusive wellness checks. So the guys on the other end that, you know, you lose your teammate and you lose your friend and it's tragic and, and you're really upset and you're like, I wish I had called that guy or something. When I was calling around, a Marine that I served with told me about another Marine that we served with, and he said, I think he might be sick. He's getting, he, was, he had something going on, but he didn't want to go and get it checked. So I start, well, where is he now? What's he doing? I didn't stay in touch with this particular other Marine. Um, Did he go get it tested? What, what's going on with him and this and that? And, like, the response I got from this guy was, well, I didn't want to pry. Hmm. And so that struck a chord with me and really got my gears turning. And I'm like, you have to pry. It's not about, it's not about like forcing Yeah. it like they're going to offer up what they offer up, but we need to be intrusive enough where like, you don't want to share today. That's cool. But like, I want you to know you're on my radar. Yeah. I want you to know that I give a damn about you. I want you to know that you don't have, if even if you don't answer the phone, I'm still going to text you. Whatever it is, like we need to be deliberate. And I think doing those intrusive wellness checks, uh, is another thing because in my opinion, I think we're we have come so far as a, a sheepdog community right especially with the military um in terms of of the transition there's so many fantastic job programs and you look at these foundations that do like the linkedin coaching and how to network in the civilian world and translate your military term what is a company gunny well like you know you're applying for a manager job. The guy didn't serve. That doesn't mean anything to Senior him. Senior supervisor. Boom! Like yeah. he's able to. There. We have so many fantastic things out there now, and and people and, and organizations to help with that. Um, and I and I think if we started changing that dynamic, um, I think that might open up the aperture, and maybe some of the guys hurting in the dark may find. Uh, the light switch. They may find that they're not alone in that dark room and, and maybe we can start pulling some dudes into a, into a bigger room together.
0: Absolutely. Well, and <laughs> on that note, we're going to take a, a quick little break and we're going to come back and wrap up um, our first ever podcast. But I, it, there's so many things and rabbit holes we can go down in that. But I'm, I'm going to challenge you because you said quite a few things there that we talk about heavily in Warrior Path. And I know you're familiar with what we're doing, and, and we talk about, as you're referring, not in the team room anymore, we talk about the importance of taking your armor off, right? It is, it's just that, that. When you leave the military, um, they spend so much money, and even in the first responder community, so much money is pumped into turning us into a warfighter, a first responder, you know, whether it's a fire, firefighter, a police officer, whatever that might be, but then when we have to transition out of that role, when we're no longer in the military, um, the amount of time and money that was spent turning us into that is not reciprocated in turning us not into that any longer, right? Turning us back into a healthy, productive civilian, right? Yep. We're locked into still being locked in the team room, yep. right? And, and the other one is you know we, we weren't told how to take our armor off. All like this that. armor and training was put like on that. us, but then nobody told us how to take it off. So we'll come back, maybe talk about that just a little bit. Uh, but uh, I'm going to challenge you now to go to Warrior Path with us because you're such a powerful advocate. In February, if you, if you can, you got February I'm signed up. Are you February. really? I'm Look going at in that. February. Hey, I, I did my job. <laughs> it happened like that. So I love that because you you you're such a powerful speaker from the standpoint of really getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's going on out there. Um, it's going to make a difference. And I, I do want to you know say, and you mentioned Team Rubicon, that, uh, you know, a shout out, out to everybody out there with Team Rubicon. One, because I appreciate what you've done with them. You've served with Team Rubicon for quite a while. Uh, you know, we've had some relationships as an organization with Sheepdog, helping out in communities and disaster and Team Rubicon. And so proud of the work that we've both been able to do together when it comes to our organizations getting these men and women up off the couch, serving again, and or, you know, doing the things they need to do to take better care of themselves. So with that, hey, we'll be back in just a a few minutes. We're going to close out this uh, first ever podcast with Sheepdog Impact Assistance. I am Sergeant Major Lance Nutt, United States Marine Corps, retired. And uh, I am so thankful for you taking the time to listen to today's podcast. We'll be right back. Because for today, we begin writing a new story. Not a story of deep trauma, a story of strength. Story of being you again. We've liked to, I think we've said a few times now, or I have, that proud to say that this is our first uh, Sheepdog Impact Assistance, uh, first official podcast. I think we've dabbled with it a little bit in the past. And so for all of you out there that have watched today, thank you. And um, I'm going to do a few closing remarks before I hand it over to Steve to kind of really take us home and uh, share what he's going to be doing for the uh for the foreseeable future, but uh, I, I hope that today is a reminder of, of what it is that our men and women do, uh, and the the sacrifices and the harm that they put themselves in unknowingly a lot of times, unfortunately. Uh, and again, as we've we've talked about this being the anniversary, uh, twenty two years, goodness, twenty second anniversary of nine eleven. Uh, and we've talked about uh, the damaging effects of those that worked and served at Ground Zero, uh, all the way back to Agent Orange during Vietnam, and again, the silent killers, uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and the burn pits, and then obviously here with with Steve, Master Sergeant, Steve Fleming. Chief. and his, uh, Chief, Master, Master Chief. Chief. <laughs> Master Chief, look at me there. <laughs> Did I say Master Sergeant? Yes. I'll tell you what, He. it's because... I know that if he was serving in the Marine Corps, that's what he'd be today, but uh, we'll let him be a master chief in the United States Navy, but uh, have a little fun there with that. But the, um, I think that for me, as I personally have heard Steve's uh, story and everything has really kind of come home, um, it's a reminder of how we as a nation must not forget uh, what our men and women our, fellow, our sheepdogs, what they do for us on a daily basis and how they've served. And that we as a nation, uh, that we as a people of this nation must do a better job ensuring that we're doing the best for the best among us. And the best among us are, are men and women out there that serve every day and who have served. And so, you know, Steve, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your service. Thank you for uh, your friendship, and thank you for your willingness to open up. As you talked about, it's so important that our our sheepdogs out there, that they don't shut down, that they appreciate that they are not in the team room anymore. And it's okay to take their armor off and to open up about the things they're struggling with.
1: Get off the couch.
0: Get off that damn couch. And that's where a lot of times it begins, right? Because if you isolate and you sit on that couch – <clears throat> and you're not out there reconnecting with uh, new people and old people, right? It's just you're not out there connecting with people, period. You don't have a chance to tell your story. And, you know, in Sheepdog, through our Warrior Path program, we talk a, a lot about the importance uh, and the value in your story. Uh, no matter how common or mundane it may be to you, there's so many people out there that are amazed by the things that our men and women do in uniform. And so they all have powerful stories to tell. And you have shared a powerful story with us today. And I can't say thank you enough, uh, again, for your willingness to be part of, uh, of, of telling it today. And so with that, I'd like for you to kind of close us out today by telling us a little bit of, one, uh, what the future holds for you sure, uh, and what you plan on doing and what's going to be keeping you busy. But also, how can, how can our audience out there follow your story, and uh, follow more of what you'll be doing as you continue to share. You continue to fight, which is what's important to me, uh, and that you uh, that you represent uh, and remind others about the importance of that battle.
1: Uh, for, let me say thank you. I'm so grateful that you know for the invite and and, and the the opportunity to come share and ex- expand the the audience that I can maybe kind of share my stuff with. So I really appreciate that and your friendship and, and service as well. Um, well, I got busy, busy year. Um, my wife actually made a joke about it the other day and she's like, you know, he's supposed to be at home, like doing things. And someone was like, Oh, is Steve free this day? And she's like, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know.
0: Like he's always,
1: <laughs> he's always like researching things, going places, meeting, meeting organizations and people. Um, and so, uh, one, uh, I have been and been talking to Navy Wounded Warrior, who's been my my um, advocacy group and program. Obviously, going through this along with other service members that are injured and ill. Um, and so, I'm I have officially applied um, for a training camp for the DoD Warrior Games. So, I'm hoping wow. to be a competitor next June um, and and get to just train and and compete with some awesome people you know service members from from every branch come together and and i've watched those and and i'm hoping uh, i'll now be able to to partake in that so that that'll be streamed on on social media on the dod warrior games and and all the wounded warrior programs um Warrior Path, which we talked about, I have, I have applied, interviewed, gone through that the process along with uh, uh, a couple a uh, couple people from uh, from our our Killy climb. So Good. we're gonna we're gonna go through and and do some personal growth and exploration. Okay. I'm excited to um, draw from other people's experiences. I like that. Take your armor off. So maybe get some some cool insights to to apply that to my situation and. And hopefully meet some awesome people along the way. And then, um, so a couple things. I'm I'm exploring writing. It's not going great yet. I got a really I've been there. Been I got there. a really good outline. Um, so I've been I've been m- several pages uh, where I'm bullets, sub bullets, and and so on. And I'm I'm really spitting out these ideas. Some of which we talked about the team room and the intrusive wellness checks and things. And and I've got lots of other. Kind of things that I'm building out. So my wife has challenged me. Originally, it was going to be something I submitted um, a couple times and did maybe some online articles. She's kind of challenged me. Why don't you keep writing it out and playing with it? And Maybe it's more. And so, um, if it I do have enough, then I you know I might try to take on the challenge of, of writing, turning this into a book um, to kind of address expansions on those ideas, um, Mm. around, um, positive mental attitude and, and how to overcome the, the challenges around whether it be health or, or, um, whether it be mental health, physical health, something like that, um, best practices, um, lessons learned and and research and things. And so I'm kind of playing with that. Um, if it takes me a bit, don't judge me. Um, and then lastly, I, will be, I have a page on Facebook. I don't have an Instagram or anything, um, right now, but Facebook, it's uh, Steve's fight with MS and cancer. And mm-hmm. so the intent's going to be, um, sharing research, sharing information and resources, um, being there's enough negativity out there. There's enough, sadness and things and so what I want it to be is a a resource not just for veterans not just for first responders but also if if there's loved ones that need uh hey you know my husband or my wife's and she you know they're in the team room they're they're alone in the dark and I can't connect like maybe I'm hoping the idea is like I can share information and resources and and positive kind of stuff and give updates on my own struggles and, and and I'll tell you that um I, I go off a mantra, right? that was something early on when i when I talked a little bit about rapid or aggressive acceptance. Part of my stuff was I needed to figure out a mantra that would get me going every day, even if it was just a little bit, I just need I'm not going to sit in the bedroom all day, like even if it's just a little bit. And so um, I had a, a sergeant major that I served with. He would always say, I don't have bad days. And that really got me thinking, and I, and I kind of liked the idea of it. And so I took a, a play on that. And so one of my mantras taking this on was, I'm not going to have bad days, but I'll probably have bad moments. Mm. Bad moments are okay because moments, like you said, the pain is going to pass or the, you know, that yeah. discomfort. So I'm okay with bad moments, but I'm not going to let it have a bad day. And I've got a couple other mantras and things that, you know, I I try to build off of. And so that's kind of where the kind of tone or the attitude I want to bring to this and and connect to people that that need help. So on Facebook, Steve's fight with with MS and cancer. And the last thing I want to just kind of leave with everyone is Nick Lavery. Are you familiar with him? I'm familiar with the name. He's a uh amputee high high amputee mm-hmm. he's one of the only ones serving on active duty still he's army special That's special forces yeah he wrote the book he's from boston mm-hmm. um i watched an interview with him and he had a it was pretty soon after i got diagnosed and i i loved it and it was i had to write it down uh and i had it written down in my notebook that i use for everything and it's there is positivity to extract from the worst of situations. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. I love that. Because especially coming from a guy like him, like if you watch his his stuff and, and the way that he's, he has conducted himself since, since his injury and, and the things that he's accomplished. And so that really drew a lot of inspiration. I even wrote him um, to kind of tell him that, and that, that quote, I wrote it down. I keep it in my notebook. Um, and so even when somebody, you know, if, if it's you, if it's someone you know, if it's your loved one, uh, there's something positive in that in, in that dark moment or in that, you know, that dark room. Um, you just got to find it. And so um, don't give up and really appreciate you bringing me here.
0: Absolutely. Well, yeah, I couldn't finish on a brighter note. You're right. Um, you cannot allow the darkness to consume you and there's no such thing as a, a bad day you know we can yep. have bad moments yep but we can't allow it to define our days exactly right? so I, I love that so thank you again steve and um you know what bet I, I couldn't ask for a better way for us to start uh what i hope to be a very powerful series of podcasts on our end as we share other stories um about such amazing men and women out there like yourself that have done great things for this nation Thank you for telling your story, and uh, uh, with that, hey, we'll uh, we'll look back. Uh, what we look forward to, you know, us coming back with uh, with our future podcasts, and um, this uh, this first one, so happy with, and I'm again the connection with you, my friend, has made this very special. So, hey, on that note, Sheepdog Impact Assistance, thanks you for listening to uh, this. podcast. Podcast, and uh, we'll see you all again hopefully in the very near future. And as always, if there's anything that we can do for you, if you are a sheepdog, go to our website at www.sheepdogia.org. Check out our outdoor adventure programs, our Warrior Path program, and also the opportunity to serve with us during uh, natural disasters with our disaster response teams. On that note, thank you. God bless all of you. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to share.